two weeks from now, you're going to point at him and he's going to cry and scream main topic. I'm glad you said that because you know what I was going to say was transition. (laughs) 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 That's what you get when you hire tired Tom. It's like, can we get a transition sound? Transition. Hello and welcome to the Outpost Podcast. You've you've made it. You've made it here today. I've made it here today, Lacey. And who else has made it here? Mark is half here. Teresa is fully present. Tom, present. Three quarters, I would say. You are always about three quarters <laughs> present all the time. He leaves his One legs. One quarter at home. somewhere weird. Well, happy today, everyone. It's a hot, hot day today. We're all sweaty, and that's fine. Yes, happy hot, hot today. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to start out with some community questions. So, Tom, take it away. All right. What are the stories behind the Wild and Weird podcast post images? Ooh, the stories behind the Wild and Weird podcast post images. Mostly it starts like this. What's something wild and weird we could do? (laughs) And then we... And then it's, why are you holding a fire extinguisher? I don't know. Why why aren't you holding something weirder? Yeah, we all look around for props. First of all... We just don't want to be basic all the time. Well, no, first of yeah, all, we, we repeat the discussion. Why don't we have a big collection of props? Mm. And then we have the same conversation again about how we should do that. Yes. And mm-hmm. then. Guess I'll grab the fire extinguisher. And then we again. fight over who gets the fire extinguisher. Somebody gets the wooden sword. Somebody mm-hmm. gets yeah. the mannequins. At a certain point, we're going to wear out the mannequins. That's. Yeah, they'll get old. We're gonna need some, some new mannequins, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Not stop using them, but just we go through a lot of mannequins. We should probably get some wool <laughs> mannequins, probably. Don't you think? I think we should really diversify our mannequin collection in a lot of ways. We will run a Kickstarter pretty soon for um, wool mannequins. Is, wool just, mannequins. <laughs> just help, help Orange Nebula. Okay, what else we got in there? Why do we do that though? What like what's the thinking behind wild and weird podcast images? Because it's fun. Why not? Do we have a strategy for why we choose to do that? I don't I don't know. I think we just default go to do something strange. Yeah. What I meant by like we just don't want to be basic is like it would be very easy for us to have Derek come over here right now and take a picture of us mm-hmm. sitting here to record the podcast and that could be the podcast image. But I think why it, do that? I think it pretty well captures who we are that we will have a serious discussion about something vaguely serious, and then the image will be us you making know, covered a human in jelly, totem pole, like mm-hmm. just being silly. It's a good That's... mashup of who we are. Mm-hmm. How close are the final versions of your products to the vision you have for them when you start? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. So I think Mark probably is the best one to answer that. And Tom, I'm sure you have some good insight on that too. I mean, I know that Vindication, even the um, map had, what, 113 versions or so. So how different is it? How different is the final product from your original vision? Wow, there's a lot there. I liken this to when a couple is pregnant they're going to meet their baby Aww. and then they meet their baby 20 years later. Is that really what they had in mind? <laughs> and, and they may love that 20 year old, but it takes on a life of its own and it makes choices without you sometimes. And I feel like with vindication and with unsettled and some of these things that we're working on, you try to not stray, you try to stay true to the sacred concept, but it does evolve 
because of what you learn along the way. Like mm-hmm. you cannot set out on an adventure and not change on the journey. So I've noticed just to kind of answer it succinctly too is like it's quite different. You know, what we normally start with is that core concept that we've talked about before. And from there, it changes wildly. I would say it's 90% I mean, different the execution than your original is vision. all over the map. I think the right. heart of the thing is usually pretty darn close to the heart that started the whole thing out. But mm-hmm. The actual visual image in our head of what it's going to look like, what the experience is going to be compared to what ends up happening mm-hmm. is wildly Do you different. remember when we just barely started to work on Unsettled and the three of us spent like a month on that skill star mechanic that... Oh ha- yeah, we spent a month on a dozen different things that aren't even remotely in the game. Yeah, the skill star in particular was really cool. We're probably it was gonna, really fun you, to That'll show up somewhere up else like in one of our other IPs, but mm-hmm. like the very first thing that I was sketching out with pencil and paper was this kind of heroic attribute wheel or alchemy. And that stayed in the game as the heart of it from the beginning to the end. And it was a long journey and it still is at the center of it. With Unsettled, it was this concept of group cohesion and how you share, you know, comprehension and knowledge and you do things together. And that also permeates the entire DNA of the game. But the way it looks and the way it acts and the way it behaves is like a living creature. And I do feel, particularly with this, like Tom and I are on the same page, we feel like what we create has its own life. And it's not like we make a thing and then we put it onto a conveyor belt and we hope to sell a lot of them. It's more like, no, what have we created and how can it continue to grow forever? And so not only do they change from the time we concept them to the time they're out in the world? But for example, vindication might be different five years from now than it is now. Yeah. It does surprise us. I know on the first time we sat down and played the current build of unsettled, it was surprising even conceptually in our head when we were working on this exact version, when you sit down and play it, it feels different. Mm -hmm. The next game that we're working on the initial sketches of things we were doing were built around a central idea. And then the actual execution of it now feels way different Mm -hmm. and that's just you discover it like your children i think that's a great analogy yeah i was just gonna say creations should take on kind of the life of their own as you make something as you paint something as you sculpt something and i'm even speaking loosely things that you make things that you write you shape them and if they're not evolving as you do that like you can't just have an idea for something complex and that takes multiple years to make and have it be exactly what you thought. I I just don't even think that's possible. Especially, I mean, as soon as you share something, right, you no longer even own it. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? As soon as you share it and somebody else takes it in, it becomes theirs because it's their experience that is happening. I think about, Teresa, all the blog posts that you put up on Orange Nebula and you write those and, you know, you're involved in the research process, et cetera. But once it publishes and it goes out there, when somebody reads it and takes it in, it transforms in their mind too. I know with writing, it's that whole concept that as soon as you write it and you put it out there, you're dead to it. Yes. You don't get to say, oh, it means this. It means whatever that person who reads it believes that it comes from. Like I could put in a post thinking, oh, this little line, that is from the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. They could read it and go, no, that reminds me of a rap song by Drake. And you're like, <laughs> no, but suddenly but it does to now, them. now it's that line from Drake. Mm-hmm. It all this lives is- in the context of the framework they give it, which yes. we talked about before. It's a common discussion around art 
right? Mm-hmm. Just the concept of art. You know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. It is what you bring to it. And I think that's true. In the games that we've made, you know, we are trying to create an experience through mechanisms and actions and abilities and things like that that kind of give people agency at the same time, give them some boundaries for how we can frame an experience. But it's definitely a, there's an ebb and a flow to it. The word mechanisms is really interesting because, and this is true for the structure of words and the way that pieces of art play together, but it is particularly true, it feels like, with game mechanics where it is really a unique thing where you you make these mechanisms, but you can't, or at least I can't, exactly imagine how they're going to interact with each other when they're all together and different people are pushing on them in different ways. Yes. Like, you can then massage things to try to create the experience that you are trying to create but the way that the mechanisms deal with each other is the first time you encounter it a little bit outside of your control and it's surprising a lot mm. especially over a long period of time we're like okay i feel like this is going to do this and this is going to do this but then it just becomes this little ecosystem of things happening in ways that you can't anticipate. And sometimes the best discoveries don't even feel like your own discoveries because the game is discovering itself by just bouncing off of itself a whole bunch. And I think that must be particularly interesting with video games where you can actually set the computer to, you know, okay, now run this process 20,000 times and what's it look like at the end? Mm -hmm. And, And nowhere even remotely close to what you anticipated. Yeah, sometimes the best discoveries are not the ones that the designer discovers. It's the ones that the playtesters or the the people who are giving feedback discover. To design an experience for an aggressive player or a controlling player or a passive player or someone who just wants to look at beautiful things and be you know laid back, to have a good experience for all of those types of players, you almost have to role play as the designer. And then you actually have to go out in the field and test it that way. And that's that's one significant way in which a game will evolve beyond your control because you have to design it for somebody who's not like you. This is a tangential question. This is now that we have a number of games and expansions and stuff under our belt, do we think of good game design, quote unquote, differently than we did before? Like, has our perception of what constitutes good game design changed? Yeah, <laughs> I think my, I, mine, mine has. Yeah, it's yeah. become more forgiving and more judgmental at the in, same in time. Measure. Let, me, like, let me say it this way: I, I'm I'm a coffee snob, right? Because I drink a lot of coffee, and we work with coffee roasters, and we know baristas, and we hired a barista, and I don't know. It's just kind of part of our daily life. You know, my bar has been raised, and my sensitivities have become more acute. And I think the same is true of game design or any type of design or any type of art and writing. You know, if you write and you read for years and years and years, you become more sophisticated at it and you become a little more discerning. Mm. And I think that's fair. Mm -hmm. I am more drawn to ambitious, weird things. Like I'm always have always been that way. But now looking at all games through the lens of what this designer chose to do and what they were trying to accomplish, even if a game is obviously broken i will still sit there and have incredible respect for what they were trying to do what was the intent here and i can love my experience with a game that is basically as a game right now kind of worthless because i'm loving the concept of what they were trying to do 
And on the flip side of that, I can be completely in love with the most simple game ever because it is so fluid and they had so much restraint and I can hmm. just see like this is basically perfect and it is not really my thing and I may play this twice in my life but oh my gosh this is excellently done yeah I found that I've become sensitive or extra sensitive to trying to discern how much passion is behind a project and where that's evident I don't know really how to describe that other mm -hmm. than it's become really easy for me in some cases to determine the motivations of the people. You can tell like, well, they're obviously trying to bang this out to make money. They skipped steps and mm -hmm. they like, it just, they didn't do the creative work that we do. And you know, maybe my head's in the sand a little bit there, but I also feel like Tom said, sometimes there's passion behind a simple project that's just very well executed and they didn't skip any steps and i think the craftsmanship plays a big part as well as the creativity in product development another thing that's weird from this perspective is i'm finding that the games that i really like to play the most or do play the most i don't always necessarily respect the most so there's kind of like two experiences for me now. There's like Tom, just the gamer. Like respectability versus playability. Yeah, like I like this weight of game and this style of game and it fits my wife's and my gaming habits. And like this is a game we're going to play all the time and I really love it from that angle. But objectively, they didn't try anything new. It's not necessarily done with any amount of mastery, you know, from a craftsman perspective. I have middling respect for this game that I'm going to play a ton. Mm -hmm. Whereas I have massive respect for this exquisitely done thing over here that I'll probably never touch again. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. It's an interesting way to approach this hobby slash now also profession. We've talked about this. Sometimes people who swing for the fence don't necessarily hit a home run, but they try something really ambitious and they don't quite nail it. But there's a lot of respect that goes out to doing that and being bold and taking swings and we, we've talked a little bit about this in the past and i think i see a lot of that behind the passion projects that are out there you don't really see those in the corporate conveyor belt mechanisms as much they usually take the safe route they usually take you know the most efficient route which doesn't really always equate to the best player experience or the best consumer experience if you don't skip those steps and you maintain the passion and you protect it and you work basically harder than most people are really willing to work. Then you have something that you're really proud of and you pray that people like it. <laughs> what else we got in there? Lacey, in your professional acute opinion, okay. does Orange Nebula taste like a creamsicle? Yes, but like a lively creamsicle. You know, the orange and the citrus in it is pretty strong and the cream is more subtle. Would you say it is more on the kind of melty end of the spectrum? No. Mm -mm. Or it's more of a hard, almost popsicle? Yeah, almost popsicle, I would say. There's a little bit of crunch to it almost, oh, okay. you know? Mm -hmm. Just on the shell or through? All the way through. Oh. So mm -hmm. this is like one that's been in the back of the refrigerator or freezer. I'm not talking long. about like the freezer burn crunch. I'm oh, talking, okay. it's fresh, okay? It's still fresh, but you know, it's a consistency that, well, maybe not everybody bites their popsicles, but I do. And so there's a little bit of a crunch happening. Orange Nebula, consistent, fresh crunch. <laughs> <laughs> it's our new core values. 
not freezer burned. There's a melty middle though. You know, once you once Ooh, you get past, yeah, there's like there's like the crisp, vibrant, flavorful exterior. Please enjoy our melty middle. And then after a while, after you've savored that for a while, it starts to soften up and you get the melty middle that also gives you a really nice experience. Yeah, I like that. What's your typical work day like? We have typical work days. <laughs> Do what you is, feel like there isn't a mean? typical to you? I mean, I'll be like, oh, look, here's my to-do list. Oh, that's on fire. Okay, well, we're going to pivot. <laughs> <laughs> so basically a typical work day looks like looking for the things that are on fire and pivoting consistently to address them. And I mean, fire is always a fun thing, you know, like it's always, Hey, we're doing this brand new thing. What if we do this kind of thing? Or, Hey, Teresa, let's go look at this. And it's like, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> I would say that my typical work day looks like trying to find the discipline to not pay attention to the things that are on fire. <laughs> and trust the rest of the team to put those fires out and work on other things that are the things I should be working on. Mm -hmm. But my instinct is to not ignore the fact that the building's on fire. Yeah. But th that's really the challenge for me day to day is putting my energies into things that are going to really move us forward and trust that we have hired really smart people to handle the fires and that's why they're here. It's like driving without your phone, right? You just have to minimize the distraction long enough to get where you're going without getting pulled over or putting someone in jeopardy. <laughs> That's really what it's like working here. You just have to stay the course and eliminate the distractions as much as you can. If you had eyes in our Slack channel, you would see, you know what everybody posts about every day? Lunchtime. You know, whenever they're going to take a lunch, that's dropped in the Slack channel consistently every day more than anything else. Some people, that's all they put in Slack. Some people, that's the <laughs> only time they drop into Slack is to say they're going to go to lunch now. The real meat in our Slack is the little DMs between two or three people where there are no rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, straight wild, wild west in oh, those ones. And I guess probably to answer that question a little bit more, like nobody necessarily comes in at the same time. They're leaving at different times. You know, there's some like production meetings and whatnot that bring everybody together, even if it's over video chat. But a lot of it is very free on your own, set your own priorities kind of work. And everyone seems to kind of have migrating routines that we all just sort of adapt to. You know, for a while, someone will consistently come in at seven and then something in their life will change and they'll consistently come in at 10 and everyone just kind of pivots around that. And All right. Anything else in there that you want to cover today? Is there anything else about upcoming projects that we want to share? We're working hard at creating some more video content. We've been talking about mm -hmm. that a little bit the last few weeks on here. We've kind of dropped that information. So you're going to start to see that trickle out. We just got some news back from an IP attorney telling us that we can't use a name for an upcoming game. And that's a it little was a heartbreaking. great name. I'm disappointed in that. Mm -hmm. We'll figure it out. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll figure it out. Honestly, yeah. we've been really consistent about getting these podcasts scheduled. So we mm -hmm. should be doing these regularly, which is very fun and exciting for yeah, me. Yeah, this to... one's probably going to come out next year at this rate. <laughs> That's right. Which is 2024. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I. <laughs> <laughs> Main topic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I, you, you. You pointed at me, and in my head, I went T -t 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 transition. <laughs> 
now transition to the, the main, topic. main topic. All right. So thank you for that that amazing vocal yeah. display. Well, you, what nobody could see is Tom like almost went completely sideways physically because he couldn't wrap his brain around what he needed to my, do. My brain broke and just said plank. <laughs> so today's main topic that we're talking about is maintaining or safeguarding passion, okay? So Gosh. we've we've spoke before about the idea that one of the common threads between all Orange Nebula employees is this very strong sense of really this internal passion that we all have. And so I wanted to talk about how is it possible while we're running a company and trying to create profits and creating products and manufacturing, how do we as a group and individually safeguard passion in order to make sure that we are emotionally and creatively healthy and that the organization maintains that common thread of passion within us? So let's open it up from there. I think balance is a huge thing. If I'm out of balance, and I, I mean, that could look like anything. If I'm not eating right, if I'm not getting enough sleep, if I'm not taking fish oil on a regular basis, then mm. my body just doesn't do right. And then we expand beyond- Chemicals. DHA. Yeah, just straight up. <laughs> but then, but it goes, it goes further, right? Like if I'm not inputting into my brain good creative things, if I'm only like binge watching content that is just- Vampire shows. Yeah, like nothing that's going to like edify me. I get out of whack as well. So like all of those things, I've, I've got to find balance. And Is there status. somebody that helps you to kind of analyze your own balance and whether you're out of balance or is that something that you've been able to do individually? You mean like my husband occasionally looking at me asking me the last time I bathed or like... Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think my family is a good support system in the sense of they'll notice if I'm not eating vegetables or not sleeping or whatever. And they're able to help go, hey, have you ever thought of maybe some leafy greens? You know what I would like? I would like a smart toilet that says the same thing to me. Hey, Lacey, have you maybe thought about some uh, leafy as, greens? As you're sitting there <laughs> doing your First thing. First it says, wow. <laughs> hey, Lacey, have you ever thought about a documentary? Because... Uh... <laughs> Listen, no reason, but just... <laughs> You thought about changing your diet. Oh, it's got tact. The smart, <laughs> yeah. the smart toilet has tact. I see. That's an upgrade. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah. That Optional makes sense. upgrade. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I have a couple of thoughts on this. I'll start talking about one and hope I remember the other once I take a running start here. I think one thing, and I think this is true of Mark too, that one thing that's important for me is to have something I'm working on that is 100% passion and has not reached the stage yet where there's any pressure on it. So if I have what's basically a side project that will eventually become a main Orange Nebula project, but for now, it's just mine. There's no timeline, there's no crunch. I just work on it in my quote unquote free hours, early in the morning, late at night when no one else is around. And I get to just be free in it and let my passion fill me and fill the world around me and take over that spills over into the other projects that are now burdened by timeline and pressure and deadlines and other people's thoughts and opinions and interjections. But if I have occupied a space of unfettered passion at some point during the day, it remains present. 
I almost call those like secret projects. You know what I mean? Not that they're intentionally not told to other people, but maybe sometimes they are intentionally not told to other people, right? Because you're not even wanting anybody's feedback at that point. It's like this secret dark place where you can fully express your creativity without any other people's opinions, without any timelines, without any pressure. Those secret projects really are the ones that keep a fire lit in me when I'm working on other things. And I think there's some disciplines necessary there. There's the discipline necessary for yourself to continue treating it that way Mm -hmm. and viewing it that way and letting it be that thing. And there's also a discipline necessary to recognize the need of that in the rest of the group. I know that's a good one. If Mark is working on something that I'm super excited about or vice versa, I want to get in on that. Like I see what Mark is working on and it is awesome and I want to be a part of it. And I know eventually I will be, but I want it now. And I have to consciously tell myself just back off and let it be his passion thing right now because he needs that. And you will get your time to have an opinion on it, but we're not there yet. Let it be his fire right now. And that's a hard thing to do because... I see his passion thing and then I get passionate about it and I'm really excited about the like, yeah, it's moth to a flame with Mm -hmm. with the passion stuff. But as soon as I get heavily involved, then it starts moving into that other territory and ruins what Mark needs from it right now. And I think that kind of transitions into my other thing I was thinking about. You remembered. I'm proud of you. I I thought he was going to say main topics. (laughs) So so let's introduce the main topic. Um, I think one of the ways that we maintain passion is just being conscious of the need to frame our discussions in that way and bring each other around to those places. It's really easy for Mark and I, when we're working on developing Unsettled, to get into a dark, stressed out place with it Mm -hmm. and to remember to control our language and the way we're talking about things and remind each other. Like we use so much edifying language that it probably to the outside observer would seem so cheesy and ridiculous, but it helps keep us in that passionate space as much as possible. Otherwise the creativity dies. And so we have to keep lifting each other up and keeping it in that joyous zone or, you know, that fire. Yeah. I have a belief that your passion is also your responsibility. It's a great way to say it. And nobody else is going to do anything to move your passions forward but you. And many people have, for example, a job where they're not able to actually do their passion. So they have to cultivate it on the side. And I think that's kind of where this whole started, right? Like Orange Nebula started as something I did before and after work and in the evenings and weekends and kind of became something where we kind of rallied around it. And I think that's great. Not every part of working here is passion filled, right? It's also just work. And sometimes it sucks, right? Just like any job. For the most part, it doesn't though. For the most part, we cultivate a culture or an environment or a vibe where we, you know, we all encourage each other and our different gifts and talents and abilities to do the things that we love to do and that we are drawn to. But I also just feel like in those cases that Tom was talking about, we have a responsibility to discipline ourselves 
it's almost like any relationship, right? You like start a relationship with somebody and it's all, you know, rose colored lenses and nothing this person does is wrong. And they're just, they're just amazing. You get married in the first, you know, eight months are great. And then you get into like year four and you're like, okay, I'm in the routine now. Right. You learn a whole nother lesson about how to manage relationships. And I think it's the same with your passion. I don't really like the term makers either, but the makers and the creators in, in the world who actually bring things to fruition are the ones who have learned that there are seasons where they're passion filled and there are seasons where they get their hands dirty. And then there's a harvest at the end. Like that the mm-hmm. final season is when the things come to fruition. And I've found that just a lot of people have a lot of passion about being excited about something, but they're not really excited about finishing it. And my motivation is to kind of try to help people cheer them on and say, this is going to be so worth it, but you have to stick to it. Just yeah. like a relationship or anything else that's worth it. So there's a fun thing called national novel writing month and it's the month of November and it's writing every day. And I think I've, I've talked about this before on days where you just don't want to crank out the minimum five pages to hit your goal it's rough and you, your characters aren't playing along. No, nothing in this book is working as you need it to. And it's, it's a grind. And I think it's easy to forget that anything is a grind. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to remind yourself that passion is an option, but that's what you, exactly what you need to do. And I find it's easier to do that more often if I prioritize just generalized personal growth even if I'm not in the mood for it, like every day I'm going to listen to 30 minutes of something that's meant to improve me. And it just, (laughs) even if I go into it with a bad attitude, just with a bad attitude and feeling like this is all going to annoy me today and it's not going to land by the end of that 30 minute, whatever I'm doing, watching, listening, reading, even if the thing they were talking about has not landed with me, it pulls me into a bit of a self-reflective vibe And I start realizing like, oh, you know, I am blessed to have the option to be passionate about things. I can choose to do that. I can choose to think about how I'm relating to the things in my life. And I think just moments of self-reflection can help fuel passion for me because I remember that that is an option. Yeah, while we're defining passion, I guess for me, it's not the joy and feel good of doing the things that you want to do. That's that's a very inaccurate description of passion. In fact, for me, being passionate about something means that I'm willing to do hard, terrible, difficult things that I don't want to do because of my passion for it, right? Like it's so significant to me and it means so much to me that I'm actually willing to sacrifice for it. And I think a lot of folks just don't have that perspective And and they're like, well, I don't know what I'm passionate about, or I'm kind of figuring that out. That's a great place to be. Surround yourself with things until you start to see that things tilt one way or the other. But I think you're going to know when you start to realize that it's like, why did I go through all that effort? Oh, because I care, Mm -hmm. right? That's where the passion is. Organizationally, one of the things that you said, Tom, is, you know, we use a lot of edifying language. Okay. So that's important foundationally in order to maintain passion as a group. I also think one thing that I've seen in this group in particular is that I feel like there's across the board from every employee, the opportunity to find what your outlet is and then the platform is given to you to express that outlet. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Teresa 
is a fantastic writer and she's writing on the Orange Nebula blog post, right? I love to do video and audio. So I have this platform I'm able to work with. You know, Tom's dabbling in video. Mark does all of his graphics, you know, because he loves to draw pictures every day is what he likes to say his job is. I do feel like we've all got the freedom to kind of pivot and say, hey, I want to try this. And we're given the platform to express that passion. Or just given the platform to operate in whatever you're feeling energy on at the moment. Yes. I think another thing that we have prioritized here, I think almost just instinctively, but that serves us well, is that we spend a lot of time focusing on and talking about where we're going, not solving today's problem. Mm -hmm. Because if you keep your proverbial eye on the prize, you know, which whatever today's problems kind of just end up solving themselves because you're so focused on where you're going that you're just going to do whatever needs to be done today to move to where you're going but the thing that you're solving today doesn't seem like a big deal because that's not the thing the thing is where we're going yeah exactly to mark's point i really like that you defined passion because it has pulled my thinking in a different more accurate direction but focusing on where we're going makes it so that some of the terrible things don't feel terrible because they're part of the doing this thing that we're trying to do. And if you focus on the goal, the steps along the way all feel good. There was a conversation earlier today and somebody said, that's going to be a nightmare. I remember Tom said, we'll do as many nightmares as necessary. Right. And that just felt like that's the passion that's mm-hmm. exactly it and that encapsulates kind of our mindset and it isn't always visceral you don't always feel passionate about the things that we're doing here right like some of it just is slogging right it's not fun sloshing around and uh, some of it is so fulfilling i know i talk about her a lot elizabeth gilbert just because she's a great writer on creativity and she talks about it like you you said a nightmare she uses more colorful language but she calls it a poop sandwich you know are you willing to have this poop sandwich and like if you're passionate about something you'll eat yours and you'll ask for their leftovers and their leftovers and their leftovers if it gives you the opportunity to do what you're passionate i prefer about. the nightmare you prefer the nightmare yeah. <laughs> i understand i'm out <laughs> <laughs> This does bring up an interesting point, though. I mean, not not hold the on, sandwich eating. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Please proceed. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> wrong, wrong transition point. No, but I mean, like, so what happens if if you find yourself just getting bogged down by slugging it out day after day, and for whatever reason, your passion project or the thing you need to re-energize is just out of reach? How do you make that connection? I think is really the heart of the question that originally kind of, or the yeah. heart of the topic. Mm-hmm. I think that's when the secret comes in, you know, the secret project, you know, okay, so you can't push something forward in the organization right now. It's out of reach. So you just safeguard some space of your own to be working on your own thing. I don't know. Is there a better answer to that? For me, at least, it's a mashup of things we've talked about so far, which is, I mean, if I'm working on something that I know is currently not going anywhere. I can still just work on it for me to fuel my fire because I still love where we're going as a company and then I can use that energy toward that. The times in my life where I have felt like my passion has truly died is when I don't care about, don't believe, or actively do not like where we're going. 
which hasn't happened in this company, but it's happened for me in other companies, you know, and mm -hmm. it's all these nightmares are required to move forward and I couldn't possibly care less about getting where we're going. Mm -hmm. So why endure the nightmare? Mm -hmm. And I think a shocking number of us would define our careers that way. I had to redefine my passion then to be like, okay, it's not about what we're doing as a company. It's about my family. And I'm trying to provide for my family and give us a home and give us a happy life and we can go camping and we can have food and things that people, you know, need. And this job that I actively don't like is just the nightmare along the way of serving that other passion. And so sometimes it's just a matter of finding all these things in your life that you don't like. Are they serving some greater passion? And then the real self-reflection question of, how far are you having to reach to frame those things in a way where you can find passion? And is it worth reaching that far? Because that's a weird balance. Because sometimes it's healthy and good and it's a great challenge for yourself to take the things in your life that are frustrating or that you don't want to do and reframe them so that they're serving something that you are passionate about. And sometimes that's good. Other times, that's just a way of making excuses for things that you really should be eliminating from your life. And do you think that the understanding whether that works or not is if it actually creates a change on the inside? Does that make sense? Like, are you actually changed to feel the aliveness that can come when you're happy with where you're going towards? Yeah. And do you feel like you're lying to yourself? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another perspective is not necessarily what we're making, but more who we're becoming. And I think for me, and I look at my career and I think about all these things that I'm passionate about and the people that I'm passionate about and why we're doing what we're doing. There's also something to be said for what I'm learning along the way and who I'm becoming and how that can impact other people. And I think this is why I say our products have a mind of their own and they grow because we grow on the journey and we change and so sometimes they finish a little different than we thought they would. And I would hope that that's true of everybody. I hope that anybody who touches any part of our company or our neighborhood would get a little spark of that inspiration to maybe go find the courage to go do something too. And I think that just kind of encapsulates the spirit of why we're doing what we're doing. And all of the mundane, boring, banal tasks that we end up doing sometimes are part of what's necessary to make something impactful and significant enough that it actually changes somebody else's view. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Are you going to like yourself when you get there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's really good. And we have a lot of conversations and where we check each other, we check ourselves, right? And sometimes we, you know, we look at each other and think, gosh, I need to check myself you know, so that I can... <laughs> I'm glad that we have that culture here. And I think that we're constantly evolving that and trying to get better. Taking it a little bit off the tracks. I know I've been inspired by even members of the outpost community when I'm interacting with them and I'll see one amazing small little thing that somebody did for another human being. It just changes everything. And then it's like, okay, yeah, this is amazing. I have faith in humanity. Life is redeemed and restored. And there's positive. And it's because it's easy to just get overwhelmed in doom scrolling, you know, just scrolling through and slugging it out. One more point that I think I want to make too is, you know, Mark, you talked a lot about, okay, what am I going to be? Am I going to be proud of who I am? And I know that me some sometimes 
I always expect things to just move up and to the right consistently in a, on a static straight line, you know, and, you know, I'm very into personal development and, and personal progression. And when I feel like I'm not moving up and to the right, I feel this immense sense of disappointment and personal disappointment and almost hopelessness when I'm in that space, you know. But perspective, right, when we can pull our perspective out and see that the peaks and valleys that come with this up and to the right line, it's up and to the right, but there's static along the way. That understanding only comes from perspective, from changing my perspective, and from changing it myself. You know, when I'm low in my valley, I don't really want to be encouraged either. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't really want other people to tell me that it's going to be okay and I'm going to be able to fix anything. I don't even really want to be encouraged in that point because I want to be allowed to feel what I'm feeling there because every time I've always come out of it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so when I'm able to have these low feelings, come out of them and still be moving up and to the right, I get more and more confident that as I continue on that path, I'm going to be able to keep moving up and to the right with the passions and projects that I'm working on. You you bring up a good statement. It's this whole concept of making use of suffering. And if you're down and you're struggling and you're going through it, you understand how much effort it takes Mm -hmm. and you, you know that. And so when you're up at that high, it just gives it that much more Texture, depth. Mm-hmm. I think depth is the word I'm I'm looking for. So, maybe not. Even so that maybe one. sometimes part of for me safeguarding passion is allowing myself to feel all the feelings. You know what I mean? That negative, disappointed feeling that I get when I'm low. Don't steal it from me by trying to encourage me. Let me feel all those feelings because those feelings are also what fuel passion, awaken passion. You know. Sometimes you can only get to the mountaintop when you go through the swamp. Right. Like because that's the only passable terrain. And generally speaking, if there are swamps that you have to sludge through on your way, then the view looks that much better when you get to the top. And if we learn to kind of embrace those growth moments and it's really easy to say when times are great, but, you know, the the dark times and and the struggles and what we learn and what we change, you know, that's where growth actually happens. That's where we become resilient and we become stronger and it's true of your creative life and it's true of your passion and it's true of, you know, the creative relationships that you cultivate around you. I think it's really important to be very mindful of the people that you have around you because if you have a, a bunch of bummer people around you, yeah, then, then you're going to be down in the dumps most of the time. And I yeah. don't recommend that. I think I think the edifying language and <laughs> exactly. picking each other up is an amazing, thoughtful, mindful tool that actually has tremendous value for helping create steam for where you're going. Yeah, that's one great takeaway. How do you maintain and safeguard your passion? Be mindful of the people you put around you. Just cultivate Mm. your environment in general, including the people. I mean, exactly what you said at the beginning, Teresa, that balance of, okay, am I putting good things in my body? Am I treating my body properly? Am I feeding my mind properly? Are the people around me encouraging? So this was all a waste of time and we should just listen to Teresa. (laughs) Yeah, we could have been done after comment one there. Except when she steps in jelly. (laughs) Yeah, because then nothing edifying is flying out of my mouth. No. mm -mm. Colorful language then. Mm. All right. I think that was a great reflection from everybody. Uh, I'm happy with that. Is there any last 
nuggets anyone wants to share? If Lacey ain't happy, then ain't nobody happy. That's correct. Right? Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and listening with us. We are very grateful to have you here. If you like this content and you want to hear more from us, Teresa, where can you find us? You can find us at orangenebula.com. We've got a couple different social handles. They are all at Orange Nebula. That's not a couple different. That's a couple same. <laughs> We've got a couple like, same ones. Facebook. Yeah. A couple same ones. <laughs> a bunch of things. A bunch of kind of things. A bunch of kind of things. That's we would always invite you into any of our Facebook groups. The Outpost community is where we spend a lot of time just connecting with people. And then there's also groups for Vindication Board Game, Unsettled Board Game, etc. So again, we're like, not etc. I mean, that's that's it. What about Board Game Geek? There's that. There's okay, more. Okay, we could go. Right, I could go all right, on. All right. I could go on. I'm, I'm sitting down. down. Stand down. All right. Down, you two. Thank you so much for your time. Gentle escalation, Teresa. Let's get out of here. <laughs> gentle, gentle, Teresa. All right. We will talk to you all soon. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Is that a tear? Oh, Are you geez. actually Oh my gosh. Crying? Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're having issues. If you yank on it and it makes a weird noise, just yank harder. That's <laughs> Lacey has all the cables wrapped around her legs. <laughs> I do. Okay, so repeat the question.